Welcome to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. I'm Sami Zaydan. A U.S. delegation is visiting Taiwan a week after a tour by EU politicians triggered fury in China. The Chinese President Xi Jinping is warning against what he calls Cold War-era tensions. So what's behind the West's increasing interest in Taiwan? How far will they go to defend the island? Let's bring our guests into the show. We have joining us from Taipei, Brian Hugh, writer and founder of New Blue magazine. In Busan, in South Korea, Robert Kelly, professor of political science and diplomacy at Busan National University. And in Beijing, Victor Gao, chair professor at Soochow University. Welcome to you all. If I could start perhaps this time with Victor. So what message is being sent, do you think, to China by the congressional visit to Taiwan? Well, first of all, this congressional visit to the uh, to Taiwan uh, by the uh, U.S. Uh, members of uh, Congress uh, is a serious violation of the one China policy. And uh, China will uh, take measures accordingly. And China has already announced a series of sanctions against three uh, most heinous uh, members who promote Taiwan independence. And I think all these members of Congress from the United States will be put on the sanction list, meaning they will be banned from entering China's mainland, China's Hong Kong, China's Macau, and they and their family members will be banned from doing any business with China's mainland, Hong Kong and Macau. I think this sends a very strong message that China does not tolerate any such provocation, any attempt to promote one China, one Taiwan, or Taiwan independence. This is a line drawn in the sand, and no political force in Taiwan will ever be successful in achieving Taiwan independence. Why? Because history does not allow that, and the 1.4 billion Chinese people does not allow that, and that number of Chinese people include the majority of the 23 million people on Taiwan. This is the reality. I hope U.S. politicians will be realistic and pragmatic. They should not bet on Taiwan independence at all. Victor, is the U.S. and China heading towards a Cold War? No, I don't think so. Why? Because the Cold War is against the fundamental interest of the United States. It is against the fundamental interest of China. It is against world peace and development. All right, let me bring in... No more Cold War. Let me bring in Robert, if I may, then ask the same question. Do you think it looks like, I mean, this talk of sanctions, banned lists, military drills, promises to stand by Taiwan, sound like a Cold War shaping up to you? Yeah, it does. I think if you listen to Dr. Gao, it sounds an awful lot like a Cold War. (laughs) You're talking about sanctioning members of Congress, right? And the United States has done that kind of stuff, too. There's been a big shift in the American um, opinion in the last four or five years about engagement with China. You know, there's sort of growing regret that the United States facilitated China's entrance into the WTO. I think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing the sort of uptick in language about Taiwan. Taiwan is increasingly becoming the focal point of Sino-American competition along with the South China Sea. And yeah, I think we're sort of sliding there. I don't know if it's going to be as sort of disastrous is, is as the original Cold though, War, which had... You know, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, is it different this time? I mean, it might be easy to draw the Cold War parallels, but the economies of the of the US and China or, or Western countries in general and China are much more interdependent, right? Then China is much wealthier, more wealthy than the Soviet Union was. 
That's right. And, and that, that, that to me, that says a couple of things. First of all, China's greater wealth means that if it really does turn into a Cold War, it could last a great deal longer. Right. I mean, the Soviets were already losing the Cold War by the 1970s because they simply couldn't afford the military spending to keep up with with NATO and, and the countries around it. China's got a much greater capacity to actually slug this out. This could drag on for decades. On the other hand, sort of the good news is because the two are economically intertwined, both have a business community that would strongly like to avoid a Cold War. Right. I mean, the U.S., I can't speak to China too much, but on the, on the U.S. end of it, you know, the U.S. business community has been promoting investment in China for a long time, and U.S. investment, or the U.S. business community has sort of pushed back on on hawkish voices in Washington D.C. and the think tanks, you know, against those who wanted to take a harder line on China. Now, the U.S. business community has actually softened a lot on China. It's not nearly as bullish on China as it was before. There've been a lot of issues with sort of piracy and intellectual property and things like that in China. So, I don't think the U.S. business community is sort of deterring the hawks anymore and increasingly the hawks in the U.S. are dominating the conversation. You saw that under both Biden and Trump, right? There's increasingly a bipartisan sort of agreement that, that China is what a strategic competitor, I suppose. I don't want to say an enemy. You know, I don't think we're there yet, but a strategic competitor. I think most Americans okay. would agree with that. At this Let's point. get the view from Taipei. Brian, why do you think Western interest has increased in Taiwan lately? We've had not only this visit from members of Congress, but we also recently had visits from European officials to Taipei. Yeah, so we just spoke about the question of a new Cold War, for example, whether this framework does apply to the present. And I think what is different between the new Cold War, quote unquote, and the old Cold War, the original Cold War, is that China and America are economically intertwined, and Taiwan is a place that is neatly between the two. Taiwan manufactures more than half the world's semiconductors. Uh, vital shipping routes pass around Taiwan's ocean waters. And so it's unsurprising that this becomes a flashpoint regarding U.S. and China, not only territorially, but regarding these trade interests as well. And so, for example, according to some reports, Taiwanese manufactured semiconductors are even in the cruise missiles from China pointed at Taiwan. And I think this is illustrative of the dilemma that Taiwan has, that Taiwan is very intertwined economically with China, is reliant on the U.S. for security. Uh, there is not a majority of Taiwanese that are in support of unification with China. Poll after poll shows this. However, that's the question, that this has become a, a hinge point in which the U.S. and China are battling out for interests. And Taiwan is somebody serving as a proxy uh, arena in which they are contesting over this at present. All right, let's take the, some of those points back to Victor then in Beijing. Victor, do you think China's increasing ability to project its, its power militarily, whether it's over Taiwan, whether it's in the South China Sea, to project its economy and economic influence through 5G technology to allegedly cybersecurity breaches? Do you think all of that is fueling concern in the West? Now, first of all, China is a big power in the world. And China does need a national defense capabilities commensurate to its increasing economic reach. This is a fact. Second point, China's national defense is mostly for domestic defense, as well as liberating Taiwan if we have to, or peaceful reunification with Taiwan, preferably. And China's military defense is designed to protect China's legitimate interest in far corners in the world. This is the nature of China's national defense. China does not want to invade any other country or take over any other country's land because this is not only against China's own interest, it is against the principle of peace and peaceful coexistence with all the other countries in the world. Therefore, I think there are people who are raising false alarms about, about China's 
economic development or the steady development of its defense capabilities. China's defense capabilities are very large. It's on a par with the United States to a very large extent. And anyone who let, provokes let me jump in a there, war Victor, when we talk about States simply a defensive posture, in July, we had that coordinated US and European condemnation of China for what they saw as hacking. If you talk about hacking, read Edward Snowden's book or writings, and you will know who is the top hacker in the world today. Don't mention to me about China doing hacking when you ignore what Edward Snowden has written very eloquently about who is the king of hacking in the world of today. Okay, let's take that point to Robert. Is the West increasingly viewing China as an adversary on political, economic and security levels because China is gaining an ability to do back to world powers what they've been had the monopoly on doing? Power projection. Sure. sure. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I, I, that, I think that's pretty, pretty clear also. Right. I mean, China, as, as Dr. Gao pointed out, China is developing a full spectrum sort of military and security presence, which means not just sort of traditional force projection across water and air, which is, of course, Taiwan's big concern. But that also means new areas like cyberspace, undersea, um, outer space will also become an issue. The U.S. and China will almost certainly try to militarize low Earth orbit in the next 30 or 40 years. I would not be surprised at that at all, right? I mean, that's kind of, that's what happened during the first Cold War too, right? I mean, the Cold War sort of very quickly in the 1950s sort of spread out into the third world and sort of got all mixed up in, in sort of anti-colonial insurgencies and stuff like that, and you know, Vietnam and the rest of it. And so I would not be surprised if the larger political competition between the two were to spill out in all kinds of different directions, right? I mean, I think the good news is that I, I doubt there will be sort of sustained major land conflicts like there were during the, the, the first Cold War, things like Afghanistan and Korea. I doubt that will happen again, in part because most of the, content, the cont, uh, contestation between the U.S. and China is on China's maritime perimeter, right, which sits in the water. And so that's good, because that means you shouldn't actually have sort of major land conflicts. But again, I think the on the other side, that's sort of the good news. On the other side, you know, the bad news, I suppose, for the Americans, if you will, is that China is much wealthier and can expand into all these domains and actually counter the Americans. Again, as Dr. Gao mentioned, right, the Americans are into hacking, too. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, I don't know too much about this, but I'm pretty sure that the Americans and Chinese are both trying to hack each other. I don't think anybody would be surprised at that. Right. Uh, and kind of caught in the middle, I think the picture that's emerging from the discussion is that there is a much bigger political global power game going on between the West and China, Taiwan is in the middle. Let's take that question to Taipei and ask Brian then, does this mean from the Taiwanese perspective, do they see that the West is actually invested in Taiwan, in Taiwan's independence per se, or simply invested in Taiwan as a card to play off against China? So this is a very interesting question. It is something that Taiwan has struggled with for decades effectively. Taiwan has faced decades of Chinese military threats. Thousands of missiles point at Taiwan. Uh, for example, according to the Ministry of National Defense, there's around 600 air incursions into Taiwan's air defense identification zone in the past year. Between October 1st and October 5th, the five days after Chinese National Day, there are 150. And so these Chinese threats directed at Taiwan are increasing. The people are not in panic because of the fact that they have grown so used to these threats. At the same time, Facing policies of strategic ambiguity, what the American position is on Taiwan is unclear. You have the strengthening of relations with Taiwan, as you see under Trump and under Biden. However, at the end of the day, there is not a U.S. commitment to back Taiwan. But at the same time, what needs to be 
kept clear is that Taiwanese are not pushing for independence in the fact that most people, according to polling, favor the status quo. They realize that pushing for independence would lead to a loss of American support for Taiwan, that China would view this as an act of war. Most Taiwanese just want to be left alone by China. And that's why they have stuck to this pragmatic uh, view of pushing for the status quo, maintaining what exists now, de facto independence, but not de jure independence. However, Beijing is increasing its red line, is changing where the red line is. And that means they're playing increasingly aggressive towards Taiwan, even though the preference is for maintaining the status quo, even though the Tsai administration itself calls for advocating the status quo, is framed as pushing for independence. All right. Victor, in Beijing, is China losing the ability to discourage closer relations with Taiwan by signaling, you know, that there'll be an economic cost? In the past, it seems that that made Western countries a lot more cautious. But lately, we've had, I think, in August, the Lithuanians uh, authorizing the opening of a Taiwan representative office, the president of the Czech Senate visiting Taiwan in September, the EU delegation that visited recently, and now this congressional visit. Well, first of all, you talked about several Eastern European countries, and I want to remind you that China already asked that country to recall its ambassador to China. If they continue onto the wrong path of provoking China, in violation of the One China policy, China probably will sever its diplomatic relations with that particular country. But to set the record happens, straight, my question is, does that mean China's China, losing Finland, its ability to, to influence other countries' policies towards Taiwan, is my question. Yeah, the, the, the answer is the influence or the impact should be very clear. There is only one China. Taiwan is part of China. This is acknowledged by the United Nations, by almost all the countries in the world, including all the EU member states, including the United States, including all its five I member states. You name it. Japan acknowledged that. This is the cornerstone of China's foreign relations with all the countries in the world, with all the United Nations. Now, the United States cannot have the cake and eat it. Back in 1979, the United States did the right thing. They severed the relations with Taiwan. They canceled the defense treaty between the United States and Taiwan. They withdrew all the U.S. troops stationed in Taiwan. Now, if they want to really reverse that, be my guest. But the consequence will be there will be no more diplomatic relations between China and the United States. And the real legal status between China's mainland and Taiwan is the unfinished civil war. Why Taiwan ended up with its current situation? First of all, it's because of the Cairo Declaration, Potsdam Declaration. Secondly, it's because of the civil war in China. The nationalist forces fled mainland and settled down in Taiwan. So if the United States keep provoking that, they probably will provoke the resumption of the civil war. And do you think the U.S. wants to shed its sons and daughters' blood for a civil war between China's mainland and China's Taiwan province? Be my guest. I don't think the United States want to shed blood of the American soldiers for Taiwan. Why? It's futile. Ever since the beginning of the 1960s, China's mainland already possessed enough military capabilities to take Taiwan by force. Why China has never done that? Because we all prefer peaceful reunification 
of China. Okay, let's take that point uh, to Robert if we can then. I guess the question is really how far do you think the West, particularly the US, is willing to go in supporting Taiwan, in supporting Taiwanese independence, right? There's a lot of economic arguments against going all the way. In 2020, China overtook the US as the EU's top trade partner. In 2020, China was also the US's top trade partner. Yeah, and, and, and all that economic leverage makes it much, much trickier. Again, this is sort of the, the, the big distinction with the, the Soviet Union, right? We were able to play a sort of harder game at times than the Soviets because we weren't dependent on them. Um, and yeah, and, and I would imagine that the Chinese will use geoeconomic leverage, you know, to, to sort of push back on this. Um, but as the two as the, the economies begin to delink, and I do think that's coming, I do think the United States particularly is going to start to unwind its economic relationship with China. That will take a while. But as it does, that will allow the United States to strike a sort of harder position. Robert, what At do the you moment, mean by dealing, actually... though? Let's be realistic. I mean, we're talking about a major global economy that supplies sure. a lot of things that everybody uses around the world. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and it's going to take a long time. But I mean, ultimately, I would. I mean, I would argue that politics trumps economics. That that security and, and sovereignty and strategic concerns for most nation states are more important than running a trade deficit or you know getting sort of cheap. But, but I mean, realistically, and, and, and what's that mean? The, the U.S. is going to try and produce everything itself again, and a complete reversal of I don't know no. decades of globalization trends. I mean, no, no, just with China. Well, China no, I mean, is we don't a big have to part unwrap. of that globalization, though, isn't it? That's right. That's right. But it's also fairly recent, right? I mean, China only joined the WTO 20 years ago. I mean, it can be unwound, right? Particularly if you're concerned. Look, I mean, if you're concerned about a major collision at the superpower level, right, then, then you know, suffering higher costs at Walmart is worth it. And I mean, the, and the Trump and the Biden people have already signaled this, right? I mean, the Trump people put all those tariffs on China and the Biden people do, have Do you think back. U.S. capital I mean, wants that, Robert? No, I don't. I don't. I think the U.S. business community, like I said before, I think the U.S. business community is still fairly ambiguous about this. But I do think the business community has moved to the right on China. Yeah, I do think that the U.S. business community is far less pro-China than it was before, in part because they think that the Chinese government sort of regulates them unfairly and, you know, and, and has sort of politicized a lot of stuff and, and sort of forced tech transfer. And there's been sort of piracy and IPE issue, uh, IPR issues. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I still think there's a fair block, yeah, of, of sort of the Chamber of Commerce types who want. China integration, but I think that's 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 losing. And I also think, as I said before, I think ultimately the strategic concerns will be the ones that really matter, right? If the perception is that China is using sort of cheap goods at Walmart in order to bully U.S. friends in in the region, then you know it's ultimately Congress that calls the shots, not you know Wall Street. Let's uh, since we're talking economics, let's take some of those points to Taipei, Brian. You think economic interests also something that Taiwan is is benefiting from these? economic interdependence concerns that Robert is talking about in the West? Is it particularly when it comes to integration, the need for Taiwanese-made semiconductors, the West is increasingly looking at how to improve its business relationship with Taiwan? That's right. And so there's the argument that, for example, one of the deterrents to China invading Taiwan is that Taiwan manufactures China's semiconductors. There's also the argument then that the U.S. interest or from Western countries in Taiwan is because of, again, semiconductors. However, I think it's also important to keep in mind that China does not actually have the lift capacity to transport enough troops to Taiwan to carry out a long-term occupation. And in the face of resistance, China would suffer, suffer enough losses that this would become a major political blow for the CCP. So that also has to be kept in mind. 
But I think what is uh, key to note then in terms of, for example, strength relations between Taiwan and European countries is that this is specifically with Eastern European countries that have not as strong trade relations with China compared to Western European countries. And they are reliant on the U.S. for security, similar to Taiwan, uh, but in this case, it's against the threat of Russia. And so strengthening support of Taiwan is a way to signal strengthening relations with the U.S. in this sense. They have their own motivations. Whether Western European countries follow, I mean, there's a the delegation that is in Taiwan uh, from the Europe, is the leader of that is French. Uh, that is to be seen. However, I think that, you know, we have to be careful in terms of how we look at this economic relationship. When China, for example, uh, when, when there is pressure applied to it, it actually oftentimes will boycott, for example, substitutable goods uh, to register displeasure with South Korea or other countries that has geopolitical tensions with. These are not uh, goods that its own supply chains relies on, such as semiconductors and et cetera. And so I think we need to be a little more specific here rather than think of things in these very fuzzy abstractions. Okay, I think we've got about a minute left. So let me try and get in a final word from Victor. And Victor, what's the bottom line here? It does seem like the Biden administration has succeeded somewhat in bringing allies together again in some kind of alliance against China, um, and perhaps more of an alliance, at least, than the Trump administration. How can China counter that? Well, first of all, China and the United States will have their virtual summit meeting on Monday, uh, November the 19th, uh, uh, 15th. This sends a very good message to the whole world because uh, the dead end is not there and the two countries are not destined to fight off each other in a war. The two countries have much greater interests to talk about than simply the Taiwan issue. And the fact that China and the United States signed this climate change agreement in Glasgow speaks loudly that China and the United States can get their acts together to promote cooperation and friendship eventually. And Taiwan will be a smaller thing in the overall scale of China-US relations. After all, these are the two greatest nations in the world, the two most important militaries in the world, and the two largest economies in the world. I am very optimistic about the medium and longer term relations between China and the United States. All right, let's end on an optimistic note. Thank our guests at this point. Let's thank Brian Hugh, Robert Kelly and Victor Gao. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Calvin In, Maha Barada and Abdurrahman Warsami. Studio sound was by Phil Morrison. The program was edited by Leroy Messina, Lin Lin Nguyen, and Jody Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Friday.